Hi, everybody. I'm so glad that you chose to spend some time with us this afternoon, that you made some room in your uh, calendar for an amazing gift that you're going to give yourself um, of text study with um, my friends, my friends, my chaver, Rabbi Michael Strassfeld. Some of you have heard you because I see some of you die hard old reconstructionists. Uh, you know about the Society for the Advancement of Judaism. I know the Eliases do. Scheibel over there. Shelley, you know it. Edelstein, you know it. So the Society for the Advancement of Judaism in New York. Um, Michael, we are old enough now that he is emeritus <laughs> of that synagogue. Um, some of you who don't know about the SAJ may know um, something called the Jewish Catalog. Do you remember the Jewish Catalog? Mm-hmm. That would be Michael Strassfeld, people. Um, That would be Michael Strassfeld. So some of us knew him way before we knew his name. We just knew his work. Uh, What we knew was that he wanted to put Judaism into the hands of the people. He wanted, he's a true reconstructionist. He wanted to put Judaism in the hands of the Jews um, and to give them as much access as possible to any kind of ritual or any kind of thing they wanted to explore within their tradition tradition without there being some block because they just didn't know how. And so he gave them a manual um, for how to do Jewish, uh, including how to tie tzitzit, like everything, people, everything. So um, so many of us knew of his work way before we knew him. Um, I had the great good fortune to learn with him at IJS. You, know, you all know I did IJS, their two-year rabbinic cohort, and I had the good fortune to have Michael on staff uh, at, at my IJS uh, retreats. He grew up immersed in Has- Hasidism, but also in Hasidic Nigunim, because that's a really big part of Hasidism, is the melodies of Hasidism. And so uh, we had such an rich and amazing time chanting with um, Rabbi Strassfeld and then sitting in silence um, and he often would teach the verse that the, the melody goes with, and we would reflect on that and listen to his teaching about that. And then we would sing our nigun and sit in silence afterwards. And it was absolutely transformative. And um, so just for so many reasons, I'm thrilled that he's here. I do want to show you, which is why I wanted to share my screen just for a second. I do want to show you, um, if, in case any of you are ever asked, what book do I get someone who wants to learn about Judaism? Here's the table of contents of Rabbi Strassfeld's book. Uh, and it is an amazing work um, that covers everything from waking up in the morning, the Jewish approach to work, to eating, to Shabbat, to study and prayer and how to be a mensch, which he covers somewhere else as well. All the, all the holidays, kind of what they're about from, you know, a, a liberal Jewish perspective, deeply immersed in tradition. Um, you can see beginnings, conversion, parents and children, but a mitzvah, so the life cycle, essentially. Um, and then, uh, a, look, amazing. God, look at that. God's even in there. So, uh, so this is a wonderful book. And it really is something you should have anybody who wants to know more just about how does Judaism apply to like just life in general, our daily lives, and or someone who's studying um, intro uh, to Judaism. Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> and it's great to have an, an excuse for us to spend some time together. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm being on opposite sides of the 
of the, the country. Um, and it's uh, great to uh, see all of you and um, hopefully I'll get to know you even if it's just a little bit uh, over the course of our sessions together. And um, I was uh, actually at the synagogue a, a number of years ago um, uh, when Stephen uh, uh, Carr Rubin was uh, still your, your rabbi and um, and oh, he's still your rabbi. Um, and uh, and I actually <clears throat> I did a session um, Shabbat morning uh, with uh, I think there's a, there, at least at that time there was a kind of uh, minion that <clears throat> met outside the uh, the main main service. Um, so I, I remember the building. And actually, I was very impressed with the historical display on the on a, on one of the walls that uh, um, that collected pieces of your past and put it together. Uh, and I, I try to convince SIJ to do a similar thing unsuccessfully. But in any case, so what I, I wanted to do was to uh, study some Jewish text with you um, and. Um, I, I looked for uh, texts that I think have, you know, multiple layers of meaning. And ultimately, um, the, my, <clears throat> my ultimate point with these texts is, is that I think that they have something really to say, some wisdom to bring about, <clears throat> you know, real issues in people's lives. Um, and so, um, the text that we uh, have, and uh, I know it was sent out, so some of you may have it or may have looked at it, but it doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to uh, put it up on the screen. So this is a Talmudic text that's from the Tractate Shabbat. Um, and uh, if we got the <clears throat> what was sent out, it also had the Hebrew um, and, you know, feel free, free to refer to that, ask about that. It just, uh, um, <clears throat> I don't think we can look at both texts simultaneously on the screen and be able to, um, to read them. And um, these, uh, the text that we have is a series of three stories uh, about Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai are two of the... <clears throat> great <clears throat> scholars of the Talmud, um, uh, early rabbinic period. And I like to say, you know, for people who want to have a date to, you know, <clears throat> early, you know, their time period, early rabbinic period is around the year zero. Of course, it wasn't the year zero, but it's it's around the, the, the change from, you know, B.C., B.C.E. to A.D. and C.E., right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So they they lived around the time, and they were they're very important in the the formation of rabbinic Judaism. And I think that's that's partly underlying these stories. Um, and they were uh, they were one of these Talmudic pairs that <clears throat> often disagreed with each other, as we'll we'll see now. And there's actually later there's <clears throat> the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai, um, the whole schools of, about that following their approaches and their their teaching, um, but I want to read this as you know, kind of as literature that that this is someone put these stories together, um, 
And so we have three stories. And I, I think uh, you'll see that there is a, there's some development in the stories. Or, you know, as part of a storytelling technique, when you have three stories, you don't want, you want them to echo certain themes that get repeated, but you also want something different. Otherwise, it gets to be kind of boring by the third story and very predictable. So I'd ask you to, as we're going through the stories, to, to look for that, to look what's different from the second story, from the first story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so to look at it, analyze it that way. And then, as I say, analyze really the uh, a variety of ways of uh, understanding what these texts are about. <clears throat> and we'll first look at it in terms of what it's about kind of on the obvious meaning or the, the, the what's on the surface. But I think uh, we'll see that there's uh, uh, a variety of levels of meaning. Um, <clears throat> so what I want to do at first is, to go through the, the three stories um, and um, make sure that everybody um, uh, understands them and, and feel free to, um, you know, raise uh, a question, I guess, raise your hand. Um, <clears throat> and I guess it's also possible to un unmute, um, but um, to go through and, and try and understand the stories and begin to, begin to unpack them. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump right in. Um, and again, I, I just the one thing is that this is, uh, this is in the early beginning parts of what became known as rabbinic Judaism. Um, and um, they're really in the process of, of putting it together. So we'll see um, in the first story, uh, there's a reference to the written Torah and the oral Torah. <clears throat> the written Torah is, is the Torah, what's in the Torah scroll and uh, the Ark in the synagogue. That's Genesis to Deuteronomy. And the oral Torah is, is the Talmud. It's all the rabbinic traditions, which uh, were supposed to be uh, uh, only oral. That's why one's called the oral, one's called the written. But uh, in a couple hundred years after Hillel and Shammai, it was decided to write down uh, all these traditions. One idea was that they were concerned that it would be lost, um, you know, as just an oral tradition. And that became the Talmud, um, which is definitely written down and definitely a lot of volumes uh, of, of a book. But it's still called the oral Torah, even though it's been, you know, written, written down for many, many, many centuries. <clears throat> Um, and for scholars um, the, talking about rabbinic Judaism, uh, you know, liberal scholars, not Orthodox scholars, um, think that part of what rabbinic Judaism is creating is this whole, what they call the oral Torah, <laughs> all these traditions um, <clears throat> that traditionally are said to be date from the moment of Sinai, when <clears throat> we get the the Jewish people got the written Torah. They also got the oral Torah. But liberal scholars think, no, these are much created centuries later um, and by people like Hillel and Shammai. Um, and, um, and, uh, and this is an innovation. And part of the heart of what rabbinic Judaism is about is this whole oral tradition and this whole notion that there are rabbis who discuss and debate 
um, and um, and there's halacha, Jewish law. So uh, that's a you know two minute introduction to rabbinic Judaism, but just to give you s- some frame. So now I'll say again, let's jump in right in and uh, and start. <clears throat> the sages taught, right? So the sages are the rabbis broadly. <clears throat> there was an incident involving. And one Gentile, someone who's not Jewish, who came before Shammai. The Gentiles, oh, let me just say, you'll notice that um, part of this English text is um, in bold fonts and part of it is in regular font. So what this is, is this is a classic way to uh, translate the Talmud. Um, So the words that are bolded are actually translation of the Hebrew or Aramaic text. So if you went, looked up, uh, I mean, you know, if you looked at the text, you would see that. And the the words that are not bolded <clears throat> are the English that you have to add to make the text comprehensible. So in that first line, there was, is not in the, in the, in the Hebrew Aramaic text. Um, or in the second line, the, the repetition of the Gentile is in there. They put it in, so it makes sense to us just just reading it. So that's just a kind of explanation of what what we're looking at. So uh, so this Gentile, this non-Jew, comes to Shammai and said, uh, "How many Torahs do you have?" And Shammai responds, two, the written Torah and the oral Torah." And the Gentile said to him. Well, with regard to the written Torah, I believe you. But with regard to the oral Torah, I do not believe you. Convert me on condition that you will teach me only the written Torah. Right? So you, you have this non-Jew who's interested in converting to Judaism. Um, and he, but begins not by saying, I'm interested. But he asks this question, you know, how many Torahs do you have? And uh, Shammai responds, Right. And for whatever reason, it could be that we don't know why the non-Jew is fine about the written Torah, maybe because he can see it. It's it's there. It's you know, it's a scroll. Um, Or maybe there's there's a sense that, wait a minute, this oral Torah stuff, like I hear other people saying you guys are inventing it today. Right. So we don't know why. But for whatever reason, he uh, he rejects the oral Torah. He's only interested in the written Torah. Um, uh, so he says, convert me on condition that you'll teach me only the written Torah. So he sets a condition for his conversion. Shammai's response is, scolded him and cast him out with the reprimand. Basically he said, get out of here. Right? So the same Gentile then comes, came before Hillel who converted him and began teaching him Torah. So immediately we see the different response, right? So Shammai has this exchange with him. And then when he hears his condition, he says, get out of here. Um, He goes to Hillel and um, presumably they have something of the same conversation, right? Um, I mean, that's the premise of the text that he'll also, he asks, he asked Hillel how many Torahs he have. So that part, I think, is assumed to be the same. And Hillel's response is he converted him, just like that. And then he began teaching him Torah. 
so on the first day, he showed him the letters of the alphabet and said, look, let's start with the alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, first four letters. The next day, the, this non-Jew comes, oh, he's actually now a convert. The next day, the convert comes back and uh, to get his second lesson, and uh, Hillel reverses the order of the letters. And so he says, you know, what I, what I told you was the first letter, Aleph, it's now the tough, the last letter. So the, the, the convert's completely confused, as you can imagine, said to him, but yesterday, you, you did not tell me that, right? You told me the opposite. Hill said to him, ah, you see that it's impossible to learn what it is written without relying on an oral tradition. So all that is assumed, right, in the text. See, that, that whole sentence is not, is not in bold letter. This is put in by the translators of the text to make it clear. Um, and this is what Hill actually said, didn't you rely on me? Therefore, you should also rely on me with regard to the matter of the oral Torah and accept the interpretations that it comes, that it contains, right? So he makes this argument to the convert saying, look, you have to trust your teacher. And just as you trusted me, to that when, I'm, when I said it's Aleph Bet, that that's the truth, that I'm not like tricking you, um, then you have to accept the fact that when I say the oral Torah is, is the truth, that you have to accept that too. That, so that's the end of story number one. Um, so just a few things about the story, kind of thinking about it just as story, right? So... Um, <clears throat> So you have, you know, one of the things that's interesting is you don't know anything about the non-Jews motivation. Like, why does he want, why does he want to convert? We don't know. We don't know anything, right? Um, and he comes and he, and we're not sure why he asked this thing, but he sets a, he sets a condition. <clears throat> and the other thing I want to um, point out is not only does Hillel, I mean, Shammai rejects the person, he'll accept him. But there is um, something that I found very striking this. He'll converts him right away. He doesn't say, hey, you know, you, okay, you have to take this class and then you have to, you know, visit a bunch of synagogues, you know, to learn about the, you know, he doesn't do anything. He just says, great, you're converted. And then he starts to teach, right? So that's interesting. And in fact, there are other sources in the Talmud that talk about conversion in, in the way that I think many people think about it is, oh, you have to go first and study, right? Um, but Hillel doesn't do that. And it's, it's clear in the text, right? He just, he converts him, it's explicit, and then he begins to study. He, he, he reverses it, right? You become Jewish and then you study, not you have to be studied to become Jewish. All right, so keep that all in mind. Um, I think what I'll do is um, let's do all, all um, three of these, and then I'll, I'll open it for you know for some of your your thoughts or, or questions and comments. So at any point, um, please ask. Uh, feel free to ask questions. Okay, so story number two. So and this story. Um, uh, it, you, some of you may have heard before because um, it, 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 uh, it's among sort of popular stories in the Talmud to be quoted. 
So there was another incident involving one Gentile who came before Shammai and said to Shammai, right? So we're, I don't know, about, I didn't count, about 15 lines down on the page. Um, so this, this is a, a different person who's thinking of converting. Um, comes to Shammai, convert me on condition that you teach me the entire Torah while I am standing on one foot, right? I mean, it's a kind of great image, like, I want to I, I want to learn this, but um, I, I want teach it to me while I'm standing on one foot. You could probably guess Shammai's reaction from the first story. Shammai pushed him away with the builder's cubit in his hand. He picks up some kind of stick, a measuring rod, or something, um, and he pushes him or chases him out or threatens him. I mean, it's a it's a kind of and and you could see there's a kind of escalation of Shammai's response from the first story. The first story, he basically verbally reprimanded him. You can imagine him saying, get out of here, you know. And now he picks him up, picks up a stick, and chases him out of the the room. Um, uh, So that's his his reaction to this uh, uh, teaching on uh, one foot. Um, So the story continues again as now the pattern. Um, so he, the same Gentile comes before Hillel. He converted him. Hillel's response is the same. He converts him and said to him, you asked to learn the whole Torah on one foot, right? So Hillel is basically saying, I'm going to teach you the whole Torah on one foot. Here, here, here it is. That which is hateful to you, do not do to an, another, right? It's Kind of love your neighbor as yourself, but put it into the negative. That which is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the entire Torah. And the rest of it is interpretation. Some people translate it. And the rest of it is commentary. Uh, And then ends with go study. Um, So he says, I would say he says a lot in a a short, um, you know, short times, but the person standing on one foot, he says, Okay, it's this ethical principle, right? Um, 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 you know, don't do anything that is hurtful to others. Basically, that's the that's the entire Torah. The rest of it is an interpretation of how how do you live your life to live up to that ideal of do no harm. We might say to use a, a different phrase from a different setting, um, and the rest. And the rest is interpretation of it. And an important thing, which, you know, sh- shouldn't be forgotten, is go study, right? Which is, I think, interesting because it is part of this whole rabbinic Judaism. It's not clear that in biblical times, people were went to a yeshiva or someplace to study Judaism. There's no evidence in the, in the Bible itself, right? So this, this notion of studying and students of and and teachers etc really comes uh, from rabbinic Judaism at least in liberal scholars interpretation you know traditional scholars see everything coming from the past and they you know they think <clears throat> Abraham was studying in yeshiva etc etc um, but okay so um, uh, so that's the second story right so um, so is you see. Uh, Shammai, the elevation of Shammai's response. Um, 
you uh, see in this one, I would say Hillel really responds to to the question to the ch- the condition that Shammai uh, to that the the person the non Jew is presenting. He the non Jew says, "Look, I want to learn the whole Torah on one foot. I don't know. I don't whether I don't have time. I'm busy. Um, I'm just weird. We don't know." Again. Um, you know, I think it's a time thing, and 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 Hillel really responds and says, "Okay, I'll give it to you. Here it is, one sentence." You know, and the rest is commentary. Uh, the rest is interpretation. Now go find out uh, the rest. Right. Um, a- end of story two. Um, okay. Uh, so the the third and final story is a little bit more. Uh, complicated, but um, uh, not, you know, not impossibly so. So they there was another... They can handle it. They can do this. They okay. can do this. There was another incident involving uh, one Gentile. Was, so here we have just the, immediately we see there's more of a backstory in this one. And you'll see there's more of a later story in this one. It's a f- fuller. It's It's a longer text. It's a little... Longer story, it's a little bit more complicated. But um, so there's uh, there's this um, he the, this Gentile isn't doesn't say, hey, I want to convert. I'll go talk to Shammai. He's walking by the study hall. He's walking by the yeshiva, the Beit Midrash. And he hears the, from inside the teacher who's teaching Torah to his students and quotes a verse from Exodus about the, the garments of the priest, right? And so and these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an aphode and a robe and a tunic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the priestly garments, which it's, are given, you know, in, uh, in Exodus are described in great detail. Um, and the Gentiles said, hmm, these garments, for whom are they designated? You know, they sound like kind of interesting, impressive, or beautiful, or rich, you know, so who, who's are, who are these garments for? Um, uh, oh, yeah, right, and the student said to him, sorry, I just lost my place, student said to him, they answered, for the Kohen Gadol, for the high priest. So this non-Jew said to himself, I will go and convert so that they will install me as high priest. You know, I'm going to convert on the condition that I become the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. So he came before Shammai and said to me, said to him, convert me on condition that you install me as high priest. Shammai pushed him with the builder's cubit in his hand. He's still holding the stick. Um, you know, he just, like, people keep on coming to his door and he's, he's ready. Um, he came, uh, so, okay, pushed him out the door. So the same guy comes before Hillel. Hillel's response, again, the same, he converted him. Then Hillel said to him, to the convert, is it not the way of the world that that only one who knows the protocols of royalty is appointed king? You should go and learn the royal protocols by engaging in Torah study. In other words, you should learn about this. Um, And it's a question, why you say royal protocols rather than priestly protocols? It's not completely clear, but let's leave that as a question hanging over it. In any case, he went and read the Bible, right? This is the convert. When he reached, so he reached a verse in, in Bamidbar in Numbers, 
that says, and the common man that draws near shall be put to death, talking about that someone who approaches the Mishkan, the sanctuary, which is a place of Kedusha, of holiness, um, that you, you're not allowed to go into the, into the, into the, sanct- the sanctuary, we might say, um, uh, and into the holy, this holy section of the sanctuary, and certainly not the Holy of Holies, which we know that only the Kohen Gadol to talk about can go on uh, on on uh, Yom Kippur, right? Um, so the text says that um, just a, a, a regular only a Kohen and maybe a Levite is allowed to enter the sanctum, right? Any regular Israelite is not allowed, and the penalty for doing so is death. It's a capital crime. Um, so hearing this, the, the convert has a really interesting response. Um, he says to Hillel, who's clearly his teacher, as you know, in these stories. So he said, who, who, who is this talking about when it says the common man? And Hillel responds, even with regard to David, the king of Israel, right? So any common person, including the king, who you might think would be the exception to the rule. It's not the exception to the rule. Anyone who's not a Kohen or Levite um, cannot approach the sanctuary. And so the convert reasoned from that, that here that says, an a fortiori, which is an Italian term. No, it's, um, it's uh, actually a, a, a translation of of Kalvachomer, which is one of the rabbinic principles of how you you study uh, 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 Torah and and the legal codes, and uh, we'll see what it means in a second, right? So he, he's using a rabbinic uh, a technical term, right? And he, he says, if the Jewish people are called, called God's children, and due to the love that God loved them, that he caused. He called them, Israel is my son, my firstborn, quoting Exodus 4.22, right? And nevertheless, so even, so we know, so he's quoting scripture, he's quoting Torah to say, look, I I know that uh, the Jews are beloved of God, because God says, I'm going to quote a verse to prove it. So he's already doing the rabbinic thing, right? He's proving from a proof text of um, this verse, and okay, so they're beloved. They're like the firstborn, your favorite kid. But the verse still says, you know, a common person that draws near the sanctum is to be put to death. Well, I am a convert. I I didn't come with any. I'm not King David. I'm not of a you know of. of I don't have yichus in the, in the Jewish world. Um, the, the you know the thing is I'm nothing more than a, with a staff and traveling bag. But we would say, you know, our expect our our colloquial expression would be, all I have is the clothes on my back, right? I don't have anything, right? But you're talking about I don't have anything merit wise. It's not about possessions. Um, all the more so. So if it's true that uh, Jews, even King David, aren't allowed to uh, enter the sanctum, then certainly it must be true that someone who is a convert um, isn't allowed into the sanctum, which means 
can't be the Kohen Gadol, right? Can't be the can't be a priest, never mind the high priest, right? Um, so he's kind of learning this out, as it were. Um, uh, so he he uh, he goes. Uh, so he, the convert decides. Um, I'm about eight lines up from the bottom. So he decides to go back to Shama. It's a really interesting move in the story. He goes back. He comes goes back to Shammai and told him that he retracts that that he retracts his demand to appoint him high priest. That's translated as Adam, right? But he goes back. He he does, he wants to speak to Shammai, um, and you know we can ask ourselves, well, why is he doing it? Um, am I at all worthy to be high priest? It is not written in the Torah, the common man that draws near shall be put to death, right? I think he's rebuking Shammai. He's saying, like, why didn't you tell me this? Like, I'm I'm quoting the text. Like, you know this text. I know this text. All you had to do was to explain to me what what's wrong, right? And you didn't do this. You didn't do this. We don't, Shammai does not respond. I would what Shammai said or thought at that moment, but we don't know. Um, we can make it up, but we don't know. And he's not finished, right? And he go, then he goes back to Hillel and said to him, Hillel, the patient, that is the patient one, may blessings rest upon your head as you brought me under the wings of the divine presence, that you allowed me, brought me into, into, into Judaism. And then the the, uh, the text has a, a kind of appendix uh, and it says, eventually these three converts gathered together in one place. They happened, they were in one place and they said together, Shammai's impatience sought to drive us from the world, like the world of Torah, the world of spirituality, the world of meaning. And Hill's patience brought us beneath the wings of the divine presence. So, <clears throat> So I want to um, ask you this question, which um, um, before we talk more about Hillel, what's going on here, I, I want to ask you, why do you think Shammai responded the way he did? Is there any justification for Shammai's response? And I want to, even while asking that, admit that his anger, um, it's hard to defend. Um, in other words, in a way, if if the last story, the guy, the, the convert saying, like, why, why didn't you explain it to me? Like, I'm not an idiot. You could have explained it to me. And I would have understood, right? Um, so why couldn't Shammai have, have, have said? Um, and And what what would support Shammai's rejection of them? Anybody want to? <coughs> uh, but Michael, I, I, if I may, I just want to put Please. forward also the opposite question, which I've been writing frantically notes as you've been talking. Um, I, I also wonder about, we have an image of the rabbis as rejecting converts kind of out of instinct. And yet 
all the praise. I mean, you know that I've known like you, this text my whole life, but like, this is the genius of having a teacher, right? It's like, oh, right. I didn't see that before that the rabbis heap praise here or the editors, you know, heap praise on Hillel for being so make kill for being so easy on the convert. So both questions for me are at play. Like, why is Hillel so easy? on them. Like, okay, you want it this way? Okay, no problem. I gotcha. I convert you. Then we'll see what happens with what your conditions are. It doesn't matter. I'll convert you. So both what is Shammai's anger and rejection about, but also I'm curious about like, yeah, yeah. The, the fact that this is so easy, like from Hill, from the rabbis praising Hillel for that. So anyway. Well, Amy, I think it's a different era in the uh, history of, of rabbinical Judaism. Sure. Uh, it took place apparently before uh, Constantine and before it became a capital offense for rabbis to convert people. Um, at, at this point, that if it occurred at the time frame that you said, Rabbi, yeah. uh, Rabbi Michael, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, um, then there's no such stricture on them and there's no penalties for converting people and you can have different approaches. Well, first of all, you have to ask when is it edited so that so part of it is when is some of this other like, you know, stuff layered on top of it. But even let's just say, of course, Tom, that that it, it's it yet hasn't become dangerous. And so there's not all this junk you know, associated with conversion. I still am curious about Hillel's if if Shammai because then Shammai is under the same conditions. So well, yeah, it's, why is so strict, but also why is Hillel so eager or okay with like what's his mission? What's what's he about in this? I mean, you're you're very co- correct that you know conversion in the Middle Ages <clears throat> becomes a very different issue, and it's right. It's it, it can be a you know a capital crime, uh, and on, certainly under Christianity, um, but already in the Talmud. And, and the Talmud is, you know, like 500 years, a period of five, 600 years, and Hill and Shammai near the beginning. And I don't, but there, there are texts in the Talmud that say, <clears throat> when someone comes to convert, you should say, no, 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 go away. And you're supposed to do that. The thing about going away three times, it's in the Talmud. So there's already in, in the rabbinic period, um, you know, let's just say there's mixed feelings. Some people are, are welcoming, and um, and some people are, are suspicious, and and there there are always historical circumstances. The beginning of Christianity was a whole problem because there were there were lots of Jewish Christians, and it was hard to know who, who who's in and who's out, and you know it's a different version of these issues that we talk about today: who's in and who's out. Um, but I want to I want to sharpen. Uh, uh, Rabbi Amy's question, you know, because I think the there's no defense for, as I said, I don't think there's any defense for Shammai's attitude. Um, but think about it for a second. If someone came and said, whatever it is, I want to learn to play piano, but, you know, I, I want to learn it while I'm standing on one foot. And, you know, I want to learn, I actually want you to teach me, I have about five minutes Teach me how to learn piano to play piano. You would say, get out. Like, or you would say nicely, that's impossible. You know, but mostly you would be th- saying, that's ridiculous. You're not a serious person. Right? 
Like, so if someone comes and says, I'm really interested in this thing, but I don't have any time to, to, to study it in any significant way. Yeah, I want a PhD, but I have about 10 minutes. Like, is that okay? Maybe 15, right? So in, in some ways you, you could see Shammai's reaction. This is ridiculous. And then the last one is the most ridiculous. Oh, you want to work at the company, but you don't want to start in the mailroom. You want to be the CEO from right off the bat with no experience. Like, what are you, crazy? Like, in that sense, Shammai's right. These people are not, you could understand them as not being serious. Like, what what kind of thing? The one foot thing. Like, what? Right? So, in that sense, you could see Shammai say, like, don't bother me. Like, I'm I'm interested in serious people. You want to really study that, you know, so I think this is this is yeah. Go ahead, whoever's speaking. Say, uh, this issue is a very contemporary one, uh, even though this discussion comes from two thousand years ago. And while from a progressive standpoint, uh, there's you know how could you possibly defend Shammai? There's the idea of uh, bu- uh, building a, a fence around the Torah, and a great sense that if there is not a degree of strictness, both in terms of who gets in and how loose we get, that this can result in a dilution of Judaism and a disappearance of the Jewish people. I'm not necessarily supporting that position, but I'm saying it's one that existed then, and it's one that still exists today, uh, and not just within the Orthodox community. Uh, This particular issue uh, is one that has been central to KI for the last 30 years, at least as long as I've been there. Um, uh, first with uh, Rabbi Rubin and more recently with, uh, with Amy. And that is, do we say it's going to be real tough to get in the door? Do we put all kinds of conditions there that you've got to prove yourself before we'll let you in? What do we say? Basically, we'll let almost anybody in. I'm not going to say anybody, but we'll let almost anybody in. And then uh, from there, we can discuss and we can talk and we can study. And uh, so I think this is very contemporary. And yeah. I think the issue, the issue is one, uh, it's easy for progressive Jews just to say, oh, Shammai, that's ridiculous. But there are serious questions uh, on both sides. Yep, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I remember some years back, uh, Rabbi Steve saying that when people underwent the conversion process at KI, very often they would give up everything. They didn't want to be Christian, but they couldn't give up the Christmas tree. That was like the last thing. And he said he did not make a big deal about it. He said, if you want to keep the tree and the celebration, that's okay. And what he found over the years was, as they became more and more involved in Judaism and studied more and became involved in KI, they let go of the tree on their own. And there was a substitution or an eclipsing, which kind of reminds me in some parallel way of this, when this man started to study Torah, he could understand. Right. So it's, it's instead of turning away, it's welcoming and then, than fostering of, of this kind of involvement and understanding. Look at the issue of interfaith marriage, okay, and how the different movements in Judaism regard it 
and and the rules surrounding what rabbis can and can't or should or shouldn't do. I, I was just going to say, I think this whole issue of, um, you know, of standards, of open, of close, of right, uh, and it's not not just about um, related to conversion. I, I mean, you know, in, in, at SAJ we had a whole discussion about well, what are if if a family wants to have a bar and bat mitzvah at at the synagogue, do they have to belong for two years? Do they have to belong for three years? Do they have to da 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 da? Right? And you know, and it was it was this broadly it was the same issue of some people saying let's let's be you know completely welcoming, and other people saying let's not be taken advantage of, and let's have people who want to make some commitment. And not like, well, we'll show up the week before, and you know, and 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 people felt differently about that. You know, there's no magic answer. And the truth is, even though I almost thought about not teaching the end of the text, because the end of the text makes it very clear that Hillel's right. Right, the text comes down and says Hillel was right. He was patient, and Shammai was, you know, and they, and you know, and that's the last word in the text. You know, so it'd be hard to argue that the text really thinks Shammai was right. Um, but it's, you know, these things are not simple. And Shammai is right in, in the sense that there are people who are not serious, right? In this story, all three people converted became complete members of the Jewish community. They're a complete success story. But so, But he could have been... He looked for some things in the beginning. The guy who says, well, I only have about five minutes to become, to convert. You know, can, you know let's can I have a quickie conversion. He could have been right that this person is, why, why am I doing that? Right? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Was it Linda? So I see both sides of this. And, and to me, it's even a more basic issue than, it could be a more basic issue than what we've said before. I mean, many of us who are on this call are teachers, and you know that if you treat students one way, for example, we have a wonderful teacher in Amy, and we jump right in and want to be part of it, no matter where we start, we want to be part of it. And there are other teachers, I mean, I remember my some of my old Hebrew school teachers from when I was a, a kid, and that's where I learned the, the first learned the word chutzpah. And um, so, you know, I didn't learn so much from that teacher, but I had other teachers from whom I learned a lot. So it's just so basic that you learn from the the manner in which you are taught in many respects. So that's a a great segue to uh, a a point that I wanted to make. Because so now, okay, so let's say we have some understanding of Shammai's point of view. So then the question becomes the question for Hill. And it's part of, you know, Amy's question as well. Like, well, why does he say yes? I mean, why doesn't he at least say, oh, great, come and study and we'll study. And I'm willing to study with you. He, he studies with each of these people. You know, he doesn't say, you know, I'm the great Hill. I don't have time, you know, you know, um, or, you know, you can almost read him. Wait a minute. Is he kind of like, you know, like, one of those people who are converting, you know, out there in the world and, you know, is trying to sucker people in and, you know, like 
the 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 worst kind of evangelicals, right? Or you know, like trying to capture souls, you know, and selling people a bill of goods. Is, is that what Hill's doing? You know, he seems to, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, fine, come, you know. Um, and, you know, and then he sort of, he switches it, right? It's like kind of switch and bait. He says, well, but you actually have to study. And then, you know, and you thought you knew the alphabet, but no, you don't, you have to you have to come back to, to me, right? So I don't want to read it that way. And, and in fact, I think, I mean, partly it is this larger thing where some people are, are, are skeptical, some people are, are more open, that's who they are, or that's how they, they read the, the situation, and, and, and everybody is open sometimes and closed other times, and, and vice versa. But I think what happens with, with Hillel is that, and this has to do with, uh, Linda, your comment about teachers, he realizes that the conditions that they're raising, the questions they're asking, are not the real questions. They're nervous. They're coming. They're going to join the Jewish people. They don't know what this is. They don't know how many Torahs they have. I mean, this is like a big thing. It's not like, which movie should we watch tonight, right? Um, and so a good teacher uh, of all kinds of teachers uh, often we'll hear the real question that's underneath what's being asked. So people will come and say, well, I, you know, you know, does my homework look okay? But that's not really what, what they're really asking, right? They may be asking, do I look okay, right? Uh, you know, and do I, f- I feel left out, right? So there, I think what Hillel's responding to is not the question and not the condition, which is ridiculous, but he's responding to the person. And, and that's the power of his response, that he, is, uh, uh, he, he hears their concern and, and then to immediately convert the person means you remove the, the question, which I think is the real question that almost every convert is asking is, can I convert? Am I worthy to convert? Am I ever going to learn enough about Judaism? You know, and it's I'm joining a people, not just a faith. And will I ever be accepted? Right? So it's like, is this going to work? And Hillel, like, immediately removes that by saying, oh, boy, you're, you're a Jew. That's, you're converted. Like that, like, this. you know, people think, oh, well, there's going to be a test at the end and you know, they'll have to know everything in the Jewish catalog. No, like there's, it's, he takes that away, right? And and it's a kind of, uh, I think, I want to read him as a model of, of a teacher. And I'll say also one more thing. I think I also want to read it. Look, there's these three p- people that come and each of them have different conditions. Each of them are different. And, and that's also what a great teacher realizes that, People learn in different ways. So what the person who wants it on one foot needs may not be the person, you know, you know, the first person or the third person. You know, and you can look at the third person and they're, they become like a rabbinic scholar, right? They've really joined this enterprise, you know, full, full-hearted. And I think that that's why they, he goes back to Shammai and says, what kind like, I know what this is supposed to be. And you, Shammai, 
and not doing it the right way in his, his viewpoint. You know, and, and, and I think it's a fair critique. You could argue again, I think there's, there's ways to argue that Shammai is, you know, come on guys, you know. I, um, but but I think, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, just no, to your point about diversity, that's part of the reason that we celebrate conversion now, right? Is like you said, like all of these people are different. Like Linda lifted up that they're different learners, they're different kinds of students. Um, and Hillel converts them all, no question. It's right. like Hillel understands, I mean, maybe. I'm just saying like what I feel as a rabbi is I am so grateful for the diversity that comes into the Jewish people from people who are willing to sign up for this crazy enterprise of being part of this crazy people with a not so great history. <laughs> so like, but he, you know, the, in that diversity of questions and styles and concerns, and like you said, maybe even anxieties, Hillel's like, okay, that that's, that's a good thing for the Jewish people to like have, a combination of different kinds of anxieties and like the Jews have a lot of different kinds of anxieties, but you um, right. Like, I, I think that's one of the arguments we're using now as liberal rabbis, because we're looking honestly at Jewish history and saying, we've always benefited from the, the, the incorporation of ideas from outside and the people who held those experiences and beliefs from outside. And it only increases our richness and, and I'm saying there was a gap, like Tom said, there's historicity to this. You know, there's yeah. obviously a big gap in that. But now I think we're kind of coming back to Hillel's um, appreciation of the kinds of diversity that, that make the Jewish people stronger. Susan, I see a hand. Does that mean you would I, want to talk? Yeah, I wanted to add that. Oh, I think no, it, I'm sorry. Go I ahead, Bert. Way beyond the issue of conversion. And there are so many Jews today, certainly I'm one of them, and some of the people here perhaps, who earlier in life were not connected to the Jewish community or Jewish religion, and seek to come back. Uh, And not having left to another religion, but just were not involved and seek to come back. And I think that institutionally, this is the same question they have. (laughs) You know, do you have to pass the test to walk into a synagogue, you know, how do we, you know, are we here to make you comfortable? Are we here to put all these conditions on you? And it applies the other way too, for the person coming in, is the person coming in, coming in with an open heart or coming in and saying, by the way, if you would only X, Y, and Z, then I might agree to come to your synagogue, (laughs) which I'm sure some rabbis face as well. So I would, I would, yeah, I would take it. It's not just a question of conversion. I think it's a question for all Jewish communities of what is our degree of openness and what is our degree of closeness? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, um, and I I think again, like Hill is coming from a place that I'm going to trust the process, you know, and, um, and maybe there's a naivety, naivete about that, or um, maybe he's saying like, and and what's the downside? Now, in other words, like what? Okay, so if someone comes and then they're not serious, or they decide to leave after a few years, like what? What is? What have we lost? Right. Um, 
but uh, you know, I, I think there's it, it's uh, you know broadly, I think he he is. Um, I mean, this, these stories are in the context of there's a few stories before this in the Talmud, which talk about Hillel's patience, and there there it's like you know nunniks come, you know specifically to. Nunniks and our people, Michael. What are you talking about? There's Galicianas, Litvaks, and Nunniks, another group. <laughs> and you know, so someone it's it's like you know, like the, the it's a like a folk category. Category. Someone's going to come and try and uh, annoy the guy that's supposed to be really patient, right? Or there's there's a, a story about Calvin Coolidge, the president, who was famous for. Uh, not speaking very much, and the guy came to him and said, "Look, uh, I, I I bet with these other people that I could get you to say uh, three uh, three words." And Calvin Coolidge sat for a second, then he said, "You lose." <laughs> you know, it's only two, so like it's like so it's all, it's a whole category. So there, it's not even like they they're really asking ridiculous ridiculous questions in the Talmud. And they're not even like something you should know, like, well, when's Shabbat? What day of the week is Shabbat? Like, like you should know that. But these are, they're just ridiculous questions, just to see if they could piss Hill off and get him angry. And he just won't. Like, he just won't get angry. So he, okay, he so That be, would be Rabbi Stephen Carr Rubin. <laughs> that would be Rabbi Stephen Carr Rubin. Because I asked him, he showed me a letter, an email one time that I read it and I was almost in tears. And I said, I can't do your job if I'm going to have to get letters like that. And truly rolled off his back. Like, yeah. like, right. So, so I think he was more curious, like, like you're talking about with Hillel, maybe Hillel's a little bit more curious about like, what's motivating you to come try to upset me. <laughs> like that's right. Some of us are not secure enough to do that. Right. But, and, and, somebody's, and he just, he, he was a patient person and he didn't, why would he get angry? You know, no, it's, he didn't want to be. Right. He's like, well, this yeah. is fun. You want to come upset me? Well, like, like, let's talk more about that. Like, like, but Susan, you want to say something? I just wanted to say, I really understand where, where Shammai is coming from. Because, you know, each of these guys comes in with a ridiculous condition. And I, I have a little profession that, that where I've had people come to me and go, well, I don't want to do what you do. But they don't want to put in the word. They don't want to learn it? what goes into it. They don't want to understand it. They just, you know, I make some money. They want to do that part. But they want to do it without anything else. And each of these three guys was saying in their condition, like, I want the benefits and I want the work. Now, it isn't how it turned out once Hillel kind of took them under his wing, but it was where they started. So I, I don't think Shemai was necessarily against conversion. I think he was just against people saying, I want what you have, but without any effort or without the requisite effort. So Susan, we're having, some of us are having trouble hearing you. Sorry. Getting very garbled. So could you just kind of like softly and in like a sentence kind of give us the okay. the, the nugget of your thought? I get where Shemai's coming from. <laughs> because it, it represents what? It represents being in a situation where people have come to me and said, well, how do you do that? And I say, start to tell them how, and it's like, 
no, I just want the end result. You can make money doing it. How do you do, how do you make money? And it's like, no, you have to do all the that that goes with it. But they don't want to do the that. They don't want to hear about the that. They don't want to think about the that. They just want the end result. Got it. Okay. Thank you. I want to say something else about Shammai, just to, um, uh, that um, one way to understand Shammai is that he's, uh, he follows one principle, which is to tell the truth. You know, if you think about um, in life, you know, um, is there one principle that for you takes precedence over anything else? Um, and it's hard to to uh, to find some things. And and some people would say, yeah, truth is very important. But you know, sometimes there it could be better to tell a lie because Do these pants make me look fat, Michael. Luckily, I can't see the pants. <laughs> I can just see your head, <laughs> right? All those those kinds of things. But Shammai said, look, I want to. And I think you could see the uh, the justification for saying, "Look, look, I I think always telling the truth is always the right thing, even if it may, may be hurtful. Um, but you know, keep secrets. I mean, you know, like things will come out later. It's you know, um, they'll pick it up anyways. What they what you think about the pants, right? You know, um, you know, you didn't say anything. That told me everything I needed to know, right? So. Um, so there's this one way to understand him is that he's telling the truth. So when someone comes and says, I want to learn the whole thing in five minutes, he says, you can't, that's the truth. You know, he turned out wrong in a way. Right. But there is a, there's a, another debate between, uh, Hill and Shammai in the Talmud about, um, what, uh, about what you say to a bride. We could say, what do you say to a groom, too, or anybody who's getting uh, married or joining partners together, right? So uh, Shammai says, you tell the truth. And Hill says, every person getting married is beautiful, right? Um, So you could say, right, that, you know, Hillel's saying, I believe in telling the truth, but the truth is more complicated than Shammai sees it. That he sees it, it is either is or not, right? Either the person's beautiful or you know, some people are really not beautiful, you know. And Hill's saying, I don't I don't see truth that simply, right? The person that loves that person, they're beautiful, right? And 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 beautiful where? Beautiful outside, beautiful inside. Um, you know, it's it's more complicated. And I think Shammai likes to see the world simply. And there's an argument for that. You know, there isn't even an argument for telling the truth all the time. It's not it's not ridiculous. It's just I think Hill has it has a different, more complex, you know, it's like some people see the world as, you know, white and black, and other people see it as you know the uh, the colors of the rainbow, um, and I, I I think Shammai is um, in, in that in that school, and you can see some of his other opinions in the Talmud, not all of them, and we we only know what's in what we have, you know, like so this is a construct that this is 
this is what he, uh, that he held uh, truth to be the ultimate value. Value. Um, I saw somebody's hand, but Marilyn. Yeah, responding to what you said on Shemai, I think that there's definitely some truth to what you said about him, and because we've just come through a period where we've seen the mortal danger of alternative facts, so we need to respect truth. I think when it comes to the survival of the Jewish people, however, and our continued growth and welfare that I think nuance and responding to the diversity of students is what wins out for me. Because I think it's going to wind up in the long run better for us. Absolutely. Um, Michael, do, do you remember, I don't, um, <laughs> do you remember the bracha for when we see like major diversity, like people we don't think are so beautiful, like people who are differently abled or like the, the rabbis had a bracha for, yeah, I mean, it's nice to put it the way you're putting it about the differently able. Right. Uh, like, there's some bracha for like coming on a room and seeing people who you would be not only not considering beautiful, but that you would have a real aversion to. Yeah. And there's some bracha the rabbis give us to yeah, say. You're right. Um, I'm blocking on it at the moment. Me too. Um, but, it's, but it's something, but I think it's something. It's, it's something about different. Different B, I mean, different. Who holds the secrets of different B, whatever. So, but but the point is, like, the rabbis knew we were uncomfortable with that, right? And so, like, they give us his bracha. So, again, I think Shammai is like, you know, he, he, he loses. Because the rabbis even come up with a mitzvah to say, a commandment to say a bracha when you see people that you would have an aversion to. Right. So for Shammai to say the bride is ugly, the dress is ugly, because he's so committed to telling the truth. I don't know. I think like tradition worked against that, but to Marilyn's point, like, I, cause I think that's about the questioner. What's the question and what's the intent of the question, right? If the question is, did he incite a riot? That's really different from, do these pants make me look fat? Right. You kind of understand with the question, what are we actually trying to get at actual truth? In which case Shammai should should win every time or are like, or are we really talking about hearing the need of the questioner being for you to show up and not actually answer the question? Do you- uh, look at, look, and I also think, um, I mean, yes, this is, you know, this issue of truth and lies is very much, you know, on the forefront, but I, I would say this is like, personally, like, you know, I think things are complicated, right? Um, but some things are lies. They're, they're just lies. They're, they're just not true, you know, and that's a whole other category. That's not, well, Hillel thinks they're, no, it's just, it's just not true, right? And some of that has to do with intent, and some of that has to do with, like, you know what you're saying is a lie, Right? Um, and you're not doing it because you're trying to protect someone's feelings, right? It's just, it's just, yeah. you know, however, however open, et cetera, et cetera, and understanding and and forgiving we we want to strive to be, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't, whether it's lies or people saying uh, harmful, you know, hurtful things to people or or doing things that are hurtful that are wrong. You know, right. they're, I think not, I found they're just wrong. wrong. They're not like, it's not an opinion. It's, 
the, it's the, the bracha thing. that you were looking for, Amy. I found our bracha, Michael. Oh, I think great. I think I found oh. it. Which yeah. is blessed is uh, are you Adonai, King of the Universe, who makes all creatures different. Right. And it says in this, uh, this is the Sac Sidur, on seeing unusual people or animals. Yeah. So I think that is that the it, one. You're yeah. No, it's nice, you know, and it and we want to hold on to the pieces of the tradition that say that because obviously we all know that there are other pieces of tradition that were you know saw you know saw things in hierarchical fashion. You know, there were the people at the top of the pyramid adult males, and then there were others, right? And, you know, and, um, you know, I think that's part of a much larger struggle we have today about um, um, a lot of the paradigm of rabbinic Judaism is there's two categories. There's kosher and not kosher. There's pure and impure. There's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those are just, you know, different categories, but but there's often a hierarchy, hierarchy, and I think we are very much moving away from that and see hierarchies themselves as problematic and separating people into groups because the idea of separate but equal has been, you know, pretty much rejected in American society because it turns out it never is equal. Right, but that doesn't mean that there isn't still good and bad, and you know, and and there are plenty of situations where it's not clear what the what the good thing is to do, and you know, and is this a necessary bad, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's not life isn't. I don't have to tell you, life isn't simple, but that doesn't mean that there isn't that even when we're struggling with that, what we're trying to do is the good thing in that situation, even if we're not sure, you know, well, is, you know, I, I got a choice here and, and it's a difficult choice and there are bad consequences of each. So which is the least bad, you know, or why am I making this decision? How much of it is, well, it's, you know, this is, it's easier for me. It's more as itself. You know, what, what are the factors coming in, which interpersonal decisions, which are always, complicated um, and, you know, and, and difficult. And, and actually, I'm going to use that as a segue to kind of the, the, the last comment I wanted to, to make, but, you know, I feel, I mean, we can still continue discussing both the text, et cetera, because I want to read these in the broadest sense, not just about, you know, con- conversion, as we've said, we don't have to read it, not just about, um who's in the Jewish community and who's not, and outreach and inreach. Um, but it really, I, I think it's really a, ultimately a text about life. It's all the things I was, was just talking about. What do you do in your life when something unexpected comes before you and you need to make a decision? You know, do I reject this? Do I accept this? It's a new opportunity. Am I scared of the new opportunity? You know, like, do I just, am I staying with what I have because that feels comfortable? Um, oh, do I, I want to start something completely new. 
Like, I don't want to be in a whole new group and have to like meet everybody, you know, so where, what are the factors that are going on? And really you can see in this story and that sense, Hill and Shammai represent both represent each of us, right? There's the piece of me that wants to be open. There's the piece of me that, you know, doesn't want to be open. Um, and, and, so these people coming are just the challenges. Not, it doesn't have to be people. It doesn't have to be experiences. But every time I need to make a decision that's not a trivial decision, right, is like, how do I respond? How do I respond with coming from a place of openness rather than clenching? Uh, <clears throat> how can I let go of my anxiety or fear so that perhaps – I can make a wiser decision um, than one that comes out of comes from those places, um, and and you you see right here in these the, these stories, like how do you how do you gauge what's really going on? You know, is this like no, that I I, I really don't want to do that. I don't I don't enjoy it. I don't want to do it. It's not because I'm you know blocked emotionally or psychologically. It's just. I just have no interest in it, you know, or, you know, what's going on with this relationship? Why does this person annoy me so much when the next person doesn't annoy me so much? What is it that triggers for me something in me that this person does? And, you know, and I mean, some people are annoying, the nudniks, you know, but but we all know we, like, the moment you say, like, why does... Joe or Jane, like, get on my nerves so much, you know? Like, what is it? And then sometimes you have an insight, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of that other relationship. That reminds me of stuff that happened my growing up, you know? And and it's it's like, oh, like, I, you know, you know, you can even ask of Shammai, like, did he react like that because he was having a bad day? You know, was he like he's building something in his shop with the building thing, and then he gets to the last piece and he realizes he mismeasured the whole thing, and now he has it's a piece of junk and he has to throw it out and start over again, right? Three days though, they picked those three days to represent Shammai. <laughs> I also think some of it is I think Shammai says, you know, we're building something important here. We're building rabbinic Judaism, right? And I, I think the builders Rod, I think, is symbolic of the enterprise that he is so deeply engaged in. And at the beginning stage, you're not sure it's going to survive, right? And now scholars say the rabbis in the Talmud, like there were a couple dozen people, and most Jews never even heard of those rabbis. Most Jews at the time didn't even know about rabbinic Judaism. It's only centuries later that rabbinic Judaism become the dominant form that was going to be the form of Judaism until the modern period. So like it's a small group. And then there's like these people coming, you know, and he's hoping like, Oh good. We now we'll have 16 people in the group instead of 15 people. That's great. And then the guy shows up and he wants to do it on one foot, you know, like, and as most starting enterprises, you get a lot of kooky people that come to those because they're kind of outsiders. And this is like an, outside of thing. The people that are happy where they are aren't going with the crazy new thing because they're happy. They've been there for 40 years and they're 
whatever. So all I'm saying is that there's um, that the story is is really about something that happens mul- many multiple times every day. You know, some are, are more important than others. Um, you know, some of them are life changing, but that happened not every day, right? Um, but it's the question, like, how do you respond to the moment? Right. Um, and so, Rebecca, I'm going to ask you um, at this point to listen to this recording because you're so good at this stuff. And um, take Michael's bigger questions, Rabbi Strassfeld's bigger questions here at the end. Um, and I'd like to, those of us who are going to continue learning with him, I think what I'd like to do is schedule maybe a couple of conversations um, if people are interested at all. If they're not, that's fine. But to maybe like, because I would love to now talk about what he just brought up, which is like how Torah study always ends, right? For us is we're ready to talk about that now and the hour's over. So um, so I'd really like if we can to, to take his uh, ending big questions and those who want to, like we'll we'll put them out after our three sessions and see how if anyone wants to to discuss. I know Robin Close will have things to say, but she's not saying here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Dana Fine will too for sure. And, and so um, anyway, um, so um, I asked uh, Rabbi Strassfeld to uh, prepare um, some way to bring us together at the end and to leave us on a. Um, a spiritually deep note, because I know that's important to Mark Edelstein, my partner in this work. Thank you, Mark, as always, for supporting this work and inspiring this work um, and being my partner uh, in this endeavor, this sacred endeavor. And so I just want um, to, we, we all love uh, like a way to just kind of come together at the end of these rich, amazing um, learning sessions. So I'll turn it back to you, Rabbi Stressman. Um So I, I thought of the, there's um a verse, Lulay Toratka Shashuai Azavadati Anyi. If not for the Torah, you know, my Shashuai, my delight, my, could even mean almost like plaything, Azavadati, um, I would be, Avadati, like if you think of the Passover Seder, Arami Oved Avi, my father was a wandering Aramean. Um, but it can mean uh, avadity, be lost. But uh, anyi in my um, in my oppression and my suffering, and I, 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 it struck me once that um, that each of us has a Torah, the, you know, the principles. Whether it's Shammai's tell the truth all the time, or you know, some something not so. Um, you know, all encompassing, but the things that we kind of we live our lives by, the values that we we hold dear, and and that we bring to to these moments of decision. I don't I don't mean this moment, but any moment of decision. It's like, yeah, I, you know, being honest is important to me, and, and therefore I'm going to weigh that heavier than these other factors in 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 this deciding. Um, and and I so I hear that verse saying that is, you know, the Torah, and that's how I'd like to read these texts. Is this text about um, about life, about how to how to live a life, and and texts that have some wisdom and some teaching and some principles that say, you know, that I'm going to really like Shammai did, you know, like I'm going to really try to live up to that principle, knowing that 
I won't always, but but this is how I live my life because without those things, it's too easy to get lost. Azavarati, you know, in this in the challenges of life and the difficulties of life, we've just come through you know such a difficult period and in our society and and we're still living in a you know difficult period of the pandemic um and it it could easily to feel like you know lost and despair um and there's no magic answers but it is the thing that i think the jewish people try to carry with us um uh this this torah in its broadest sense um of uh and i really see it as about life as Torah as Eitz Chaim, the tree of life, right? It's uh, uh, I, I like that image a lot. So it's it's uh, a, a melody. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, and I would say feel free to join in. But we're on Zoom. That would be a really bad idea. Uh, <clears throat> but um, and and if you don't know them, you know, listen to the melody or just sit for like for two minutes in quiet and. Um, you know, just taking in, you know, everything that was said or pieces of it, and, and in a way, think of what maybe a few things that you would like to carry with you, um, you know, from from what people said today. And they're all on mute. Sing your hearts out. <laughs> Sing your hearts out. time I teach this text I, I I see and learn something new in it so so thank you for not just be as I say just not for not just being students but for being teachers as well which one last thing I think Hillel that's in part how he 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 thought of of the the people converting um as as, as potential teachers as well you know um and we'll see you in uh, approximately a month or so. <laughs>